Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9 is where I'll be reading. I'll be focusing on verse 9. The series is called Mo Better, Keys to a Better Life, taken straight out of Jesus' words in the opening section of the Sermon on the Mount. The message today is Peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. If you want a better life, Jesus here in these verses gives us the keys to a better life. It begins with a relationship with Jesus in which you are not just a spectator following him, but you are a serious follower of Jesus, willing to follow him no matter where he leads. A better life then is cultivated in humility, being humble. It is further developed when it expresses itself in empathy and mercy and self-discipline. It is enhanced with a hunger for Jesus and a hunger for being like Jesus and thinking like Jesus and behaving like Jesus. And now in these verse, in verse 9, Jesus tells us that a better life is connected with being a peacemaker. I grew up in uh, north central Georgia, grew up in country Baptist churches. Most of those Baptist churches had what we call bivocational pastors. What that meant was that the pastors had a separate job that they went to during the week, but they still pastored a church uh, and they were paid part-time or they were paid nothing by the church. But what, what, it event, what, what it inevitably meant was that they had two full-time jobs, but, but one of those jobs either paid nothing or paid part-time. Uh, because there's no such thing as a part-time pastor. I don't, even if you only have 20 members in the church, pastoring is full-time. It, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of hours. You're on call 24-7, and uh, it, it just it requires a lot of time. But they were bivocational pastors. My dad, uh, for over 40 years, was a bivocational pastor. He's retired now. He worked at General Motors, required, he retired at General Motors, Uh, But during that time, he also pastored churches of various sizes. Um, For those pastors, one of the primary goals, if not the primary goal in pastoring, was to keep the peace in the church. Keep the peace. Uh, Which is a high goal. In Baptist churches, it is really, really difficult, but... Uh, That was the uh, goal that they had. In addition to reaching people for Christ, which was their number one goal, second to that was keeping peace in the church. And most of the time, that's good. After all, most people look at peacekeeping as something that is a really good thing to do. But sometimes in, in those churches and in churches anywhere, 
the, the goal of peacekeeping becomes, becomes peacekeeping at almost any cost. And so a lot of times those pastors would come into those churches and there were certain things they saw because God gives a pastor a vision of things that need to happen in that church. And, and they, would, they would come to the church and God would show them something that needed to, be, needed to happen. But putting that whatever it is in place would have been very controversial. It would have disrupted the peace. And, and more often than not, we pastors who were up there, we would back away from what we ought to do because we wanted to maintain the peace. The problem with that is sometimes, I want you to hear this, sometimes peace and maintaining peace, status quo peace, becomes an obstacle to getting God's people from point A to point B and point B being where God wants them to be. And so a lot of times, because those pastors, and they would stay at churches anywhere from one to five years, maybe six years if things were going really, really well, but usually they stayed on average two to three years and they would leave. So the last thing they wanted to do was leave with a reputation of being a church divider, a peace disruptor. And so peace was really important, even if it was peace at all costs. I went to uh, Concord Baptist Church in 1987. I love that church. We spent 11 years there. Most of them were very, very good. On the first Sunday we were there, we were in a sanctuary whose capacity was 200. 200 people would fit in there. I'm talking elbow to elbow with the choir full. And on the first Sunday we were there, they had 220 people there. I'll never forget it. Now, when I went into Concord, I was 27 years old. I was, I was a kid, a, not a very smart kid, not that I'm a whole lot smarter today, but I was a dumb kid at that time. And the one thing that I knew I wanted to do coming into Concord was this. I wanted to take two years to do nothing but to get to know those people so that I could earn their trust, and then we'd see what needed to happen in the church, and maybe I could lead them in whatever way they need to be led. So my goal was to spend two years doing nothing but getting to know them. But I got in that church, and in, in the first Sunday, they had 220 people. All the chair, we had chairs in the aisle, in the middle, and on the side. They were full. There were people standing when they couldn't sit. And this happened for several weeks in a row. And what happened was, people would start coming, we had a little foyer in the front, of the, in the front part of the church, and uh, guests, first-time visitors would come in, and dad would have to sit over here, and mom would have to sit over here in this chair, and little Christy would have to sit over here, and Jojo had to sit over here. And they didn't come back. Then there were times when people would come in, and they would see the crowd, and they would see that, that either there was no place to sit, they'd have to stand up, or they'd have to sit separated. And they turn around, still in the foyer of the church, they'd turn around, and they walked out and went to the church down the road where they had some room. And so within three weeks of being there, I realized that I was not going to have the benefit of sitting 
for two years and just getting to know people. I realized that something had to take place and it had to take place quickly. And and if it was going to happen, I had to lead the church to do it. There were people ready to do it, but they were not going to step out in leadership. They were waiting on the pastor, as is often the case, to lead them into doing something. So the first thing we did We, the leaders and I, we recommended to the church that we go to two services. Nobody wants to go to two services. Nobody, nobody, nobody. But we recommended we go to two services because that was the most inexpensive and the quickest way to double our capacity. I mean, just like that in one week. The second thing that we recommended to the church to do was that we build a new sanctuary. Now, they had 40 acres, so we didn't have to relocate. Uh, all we had to do was come up with a plan, an architectural plan to add a sanctuary onto the building facility that we had. And so we recommended those two things, go to two services and build a new sanctuary. And let me tell you, those two wonderful things disrupted the peace. One of the lead people in that church He was a deacon, he was a choir director, he played the piano sometimes, although he wasn't the regular pianist. Very influential person. He came up to me one day in in the altar area and he says, you know, this was after I recommended that we go to two services and that we build a new sanctuary. He said, you know what I wish? He said, I wish that we could close the doors, lock them, and nobody who's in the church be able to leave and nobody who's outside the church be able to come in. I'll never forget it because I went home after he said that to me. And this was a guy who was more responsible for getting me to this church than anybody else in the building. And he was saying this to me. I went home and I said to God, I said, God, why on earth did you bring me here? You see, there are times when peace is a status quo obstacle that needs to be disrupted. Because that kind of status quo peace is not what Jesus is talking about here in verse, in verse 9 where he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus was for making peace, that's for certain, that is in verse 9, but not peace at all costs. In fact, the very next verse, which we'll get to next week, Lord willing, says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know who the persecuted are for righteousness sake? They are peace disruptors. So in one verse, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. In the next verse, tantamount is saying, blessed are the peace disruptors. So you got to know which peace is which. Is it a status quo peace or is it, is it a place where peace really needs to be made? At Concord, those two things that we suggested and that the church on a split vote voted in were so controversial that over an 18-month period, we lost 76 people, including everybody who voted for me to be the pastor of the church. Thank God. That during that same 18-month period when we lost 76 people, we gained 200 people. Which told me that God was into what we were doing. You see, sometimes you have to disrupt peace 
in order to bring about development and maturity of God's people. But there are other times, and this is certainly where Jesus is in this verse, there are other times when we need to be about peace because being about peace, when we're acting in peaceful ways and promoting peace, we are acting as much like Jesus as at any other time in our lives. And so it's those kind of peacemakers that I want to talk about. Let me tell you a few things about being a peacemaker in the way Jesus is talking about in verse 9. First, peacemakers recognize that God's character includes peace. God is about peace. Now, in 1 John, John says God is love, and love is of God, and anyone who is of God also loves. And he goes on to say, if, if you do not, if a person does not love other people, then they cannot claim to love God or be born of God. It's pretty strong language. God is about love, but he's also about peace. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, the apostle Paul said this, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself, God's self, having made, here it is, peace through the blood of his cross. So the Apostle Paul says what Jesus was doing on the cross was making peace because God is about peace. The prophet Isaiah 600 years before Jesus was ever born, talking about the Messiah when he would come, says in chapter 9, verse 7, that this Messiah, when he came, would be the prince of what? Peace. So God is about peace. And so peacemakers recognize that peace is an intricate and essential part of God's character. The second thing I want you to know is this. Peacemakers view conflict as an opportunity. Now, you see, for so long, conflict has been viewed as totally negative. Avoid conflict at all costs. Don't do anything to disrupt peace if you have peace. And granted, there are a lot of times when conflict is a very bad thing. But a, a peacemaker realizes that when he or she sees conflict... They're not necessarily seeing a problem to be overcome. They're not necessarily seeing a struggle. They're not seeing something negative, but rather they see this conflict as an opportunity. An opportunity for them to step in and allow, them to, allow God to use them to act and to promote peace, which is what they were created to do because they're God's children. This doesn't mean that we're to go around creating conflict. I have had the privilege of pastoring three churches. My dad has pastored nine or ten churches. I lost count. Some of those churches I was with him. And this much I can tell you, I can tell you, while most of the people in those churches are salt of the earth people, let me just tell you, there are some people, and they're in every church because they have procreated. They feel called to create conflict. They do. God has called them, they believe. Now, I don't believe it, but they believe it, and that's all that matters. Don't, don't try to present them with any facts. They believe they've been called to create conflict. Peacemakers, however, don't go around creating conflict, but what they do is look for 
conflict as opportunities to make peace. Now, the third thing I want to tell you is that peacemakers realize the importance of communication in the process of turning conflict into peace. Uh, and there are three ways in which conflict is, is influenced by communication. First off, com- communication quite often, maybe all the time, but certainly most of the time, causes conflict. Communication causes conflict. I mean, if somebody leaves the church, unless they're moving because a job has transferred them or they're going to the other side of town to be with grandbabies or whatever, uh, and we've had folks do that. If someone normally leaves the church and they go to another church that's, that's, that's close by, the reason is, more often than not, somebody said something. Why, why did y'all leave? Well, somebody said something. You see, that's communication. Communication often is the cause of conflict. Second, communication quite often reflects conflict. Well, what is the problem? And, and in the communication of the problem, the, the conflict is reflected. It is exposed. It is shown to be true. But most importantly, communication is essential in resolving the conflict. You have two people who work. Maybe they share the same office. They can't stand each other. They rarely speak. What needs to happen? They need to start talking to each other. You've got a married couple. They're having problems. What needs to happen? They need to talk with each other. You have siblings who are fighting. In the first service, I had the kids up here for the children's sermon. I asked them the same question I asked most of these, people, most of these kids in this service. I said, well, have you ever fought? And almost all of them raised their hands. I said, well, who did you fight? My brother, my sister, my brother and my sister. I mean, it's a sibling rivalry. And sometimes that goes right on into adulthood. What needs to happen? Somebody needs to talk. Communication is essential for resolving conflict. Number four, peacemakers try to build bridges between people and God. You see, ultimate peace comes first through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want peace in your own life? You want peace that will carry you right on into the moment you breathe your last breath? That requires a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a peace that God gives you. And peacemakers are, in a sense, soul winners because not only do they want to make peace between people and people, but they want to make peace between God and other people, and they know it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Do you have a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 said this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, now let me paraphrase that, since we've been saved, The result is we have, and here's result number one of being said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, while he was dying for our sins, his number one goal was your peace and my peace and our peace with God. And he accomplished that on the cross. But last, Peacemakers not only try to build bridges between people and God, but they try to build bridges between people and people. So when you are actively promoting peace, when you see people at odds with each other, or if you're at odds with someone in your own life, and you seek to make peace, you at that very moment are being more like a child of God than at other, any other time in your life. Sometime when you get a free chance, look over all these Beatitudes. Blessed are the 
poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the, and you go on and on and on, but this one, verse 9, is the only one, the only one that says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the boys and girls of God, the children of God. None of the other Beatitudes have that result. But when you promote peace, and brother, let me tell you, if there's any time in this nation when churches need peace, it's today. If there's any time in this world when our nation and our, our allies need peace, it's today. We, we went down to Florida this, uh, 10 days ago. We're on the way down. To, there was a one-half mile stretch in which in that one-half mile, there were four churches on the right side of the road within the one-half mile. Listen, they weren't a half mile distance between them. They all four were within that one-half mile stretch. There was one place where we passed by a Concord Baptist Church on the left, but a tenth of a mile earlier, we passed by a Concord Missionary Baptist Church on the right. And I told Amanda, I said, that's a church split right there. You know the number one way of church planning among Christianity in, in America? It's church splits. And that's a shame. The place where peace ought to be abundant is the place where it is so void. We must be about peace. The followers of Jesus Christ have been called to peace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German during world, early World War II said, he says, when, when God called them, they found their peace for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make peace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who died in prison at the hands of Adolf Hitler. Kurt Vonnegut, in his book, Cold Turkey, he said this, some of you are not going to like this, but this truth. He says, many Christians demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. He said, I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. He said, for instance, imagine, blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers hanging at the Pentagon. Hello? <laughs> what we need today is peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the discernment to know when the peace we are experiencing is a God-given peace or if it is a status quo peace. Give us the courage, if we find that it's a status quo peace, to disrupt that peace in order for the growth of your people. But Lord, where we find strife, where we find division, where we find dissension, Help us to be courageous enough and wise enough and equipped enough to make peace. Knowing that when we are doing that, you're looking down and you are looking at us 
like a mirrored reflection of yourself. Lord, I pray that we'd be peacemakers. I pray that on this Memorial Day weekend, we would recommit ourselves to being peacemakers. First at home, at church, school, work, and nation. And Lord, I realize it starts with a relationship with Jesus. I pray for anybody in this room, Lord, who has not yet received you as their Savior, that today they would discover the peace of God that passes all understanding. May this be a day of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.